Are you saved? Have you been saved? Are you being saved? Will you be saved? It's confusing, isn't it? In fact, salvation is is really a, a, a complex concept, idea in the Scriptures. And um, we can have a danger sometimes of oversimplifying it by focusing on one or two aspects. Personally, I know it's in the Scriptures, you know, that I have saved question I don't really like. I know it's it's a biblical truth, but uh, it's open to misunderstanding, misinterpretation, and and certainly at times abuse and misapplication. Because it tends to suggest this sort of fixed state, well, either you are or you aren't. And the story hasn't been fully written yet for any of us. And it's not just a system. It's a relationship. It's dynamic. So, hence my title. I call this um, Stand Firm, as we had in Paul's writing, but not still. Don't stand still. I hope the significance of that unfolds as we go through this. It's about the, it's like the question, well, are you married? And the question, how's your marriage? Are they different? My, my marriage is feeling really good today. <laughs> I mean, it felt really good yesterday and over the last couple of weeks. But there's a change in the dynamic because Carol's been away, we've been in communication, but I've missed her and it's different now. But all the while, I was married. You see, that's, that's what relationship is about. Now, in our Gospel reading, we also have the question of marriage come up seven times, in fact. But really, as it relates to the question of eternity. What is the relationship between marriage and eternity? Now, these bunch of religious leaders called the Sadducees, they were kind of the upper echelon of the religious leaders of the day. They took responsibility for running sort of the temple program, amongst other things. They were of a higher social status. And one of the the realities was part of their theology is they didn't believe in an afterlife. There was no resurrection. And so it's a trick question because they're trying to show to Jesus, well, it doesn't make sense. How can things continue as a reflection of what has happened on the earth when somebody has been married seven times? Their focus was really upon this life, the Torah, the written Torah. And in many ways, they were interested in reinforcing their position at the top of the pile, in charge and in control. But of course, Jesus speaks very wisely into their question about the reality and reinforces the reality of of resurrection and of life eternal, that God is a God not of the dead, but of the living. But what about us? How do we see ourselves in the context of that story? So I I actually want to look at a couple of verses in in Paul's writing from his letter to the Thessalonians. And in particular, verses 13 onwards. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved 
through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and belief in the truth, through our Gospel, that we would share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to talk a little bit about this salvation as it relates to the work of the Holy Spirit, and particularly as it relates to life here and now. There is a future sense, and and our hope is that we will be saved, that in eternity we will be with the Lord and we will be complete. Hallelujah. We look forward to that day. When I was thinking about this, uh, I immediately went in my mind to, uh, some of you will have heard of Watchman Nee, and he wrote a little book on the book of Ephesians, which he called Sit, Walk, Stand. Sit, Walk, Stand. It's a reflection of the message that Paul was writing to the believers of that day. He wrote this back in, he wrote this before I was born, but it still has incredible relevance. Now, the foundation of the gospel, of the good news, is that God indeed is working in his creation. In fact, he's become a part of it through Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He came to show us what the Father is like. And he came to make it possible for us to know the Father and live in relationship with him. And the beginning of the gospel as it starts to take root in us and as we put our faith in him is with our being seated. Can you imagine that? You are seated with Christ. That's the starting point. It's the place of fullness and of completion. Because God from the very beginning chose you. He saw you and he knew you. And he loved you. And he saw your life mapped out. And he rejoiced because his deepest longing was not just that you would be saved in some abstract sense, but that you would know him and live in communion and relationship with him. He's a father who loves his children, you see. And he wants more than anything, just as you want for your own children, that they would rest in the knowledge that they're beloved of the father. Beloved of us as parents towards our own children that they would find a strength in that. So Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 1. He chose us in him before the very creation of the world. That's how far back this goes. But what did he choose us for? He chose us to be holy, blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Sorry, ladies. Sonship. How do you like that? I always say, you know, we've all got to get used to being the bride of Christ. Now, sonship is just a technical word, and it really relates to, um, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a Roman sort of term. Remember, it's contextually when he wrote this, and their understanding about the male heir in Roman culture is the blessed one. And, God, and Paul wants us to see that in Christ we are blessed beyond what we can imagine. Because he chose us, chosen, he predestined us to be holy and blameless. Do you feel holy and blameless? Who feels holy and blameless? I just said you are seated in a place of fullness and completeness, which means you are holy and blameless. We just don't feel it, do we? We're going to talk about this. But that is the reality. Do you think perhaps you're feeling or believing something that's not true? Perhaps. 
So he chose us to be adopted through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. He chose you not because he had to. He felt obliged to. Oh, I suppose I made him. I better call him in. No. He delights in you. It's his greatest desire that you should know that and, and rest in that. You're the apple of his eye. You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, when you believed, and you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. A lot of big words, a lot of concepts, but understand this. It is secure, it is guaranteed. It's the down payment. It's like, you know, it's like the earnest money on the house you're buying. Once it's paid, a contract is entered into and it's guaranteed to go to completion, assuming you can come up with the funds at the appropriate time. But he's, he's provided all the funds. It is a done deal. And though we wait anticipating, he wants us to wait in the full knowledge that we are already seated. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. So, first point, (laughs) justification. Some of you will have heard that word. To be justified. We have been justified through faith. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, rebellion, selfishness, is death. But you've been rescued for that if you're in Christ, if you're trusting in the Eternal One, the Lamb of God. And receiving Him as my Lord, as my Saviour, as my God, as John says, those who believed in, those who received Him, He gave the right to become children of God. Because once you receive Christ, you're in Him. Everything that's His is yours. You're a co-heir with Christ. Is Jesus holy? Are you holy? Yes, Mike. (laughs) These are important realities. It doesn't mean the work's done, but it means there's a reality for you to live out of. Gratefully. Gratefully. God raised us up with Christ... What does that mean? Well, in Romans, Paul says that um, in baptism, this symbolic entering into the waters is an entering into the death of Christ. We were crucified with Christ. As we put our faith in Him, we somehow mysteriously were a part of that judgment that came upon the Lord Jesus. And we died to something in order that we might be raised as we're drawn out of the waters, we're raised to new life, the resurrection life. And now we we belong to something that's indestructible because it's eternal, because it's rooted in He who is eternal, the Creator of all things. And God raised us up and He seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's done. Don't doubt it. You didn't earn it. You don't qualify for it because of your efforts. It's a gift of one who loves you deeply. 
And this is what Paul calls our justification. It's just as if we had never sinned. But it's better than that because we did sin. And regardless, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the measure of his love. That is the Father's pounding, beating heart for his children. That they would know this reality. No wonder, no wonder the psalmist David says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. We are so blessed because we're forgiven. We've experienced mercy. We were enemies of God. Opposed to Him. And He loved us nonetheless and He suffered in our place. And in this we rest. Let's start with Graham earlier. It's so hard for us to learn to, to live out of a place of rest. You're complete. You're there in terms of the Lord and your relationship with Him. This is freedom. This is a breaking of the chains that once bound you. This is though you were once lost, you've now found. Though you were separate from, now you are one with God through Jesus. We are where He is and He is where we are for He's come to make His home with us. And so we've been, pet, we've been saved from the penalty of our sin through our trust in Christ. And this is love. Love, love, love. You've received the gift through faith and you've become a new creation. God has written your name upon the palm of His hand and He delights in you as His beloved and He sees you as He sees His own Son. So if you're struggling to be good enough, to be obedient enough, to believe enough, to be good enough, to be lovable enough, please stop. Because it's rooted in a lie. And it keeps us from the blessing. Stop trying. You can't get there ever. You don't have to. He's come to you. Therefore in Christ I am. And in Christ I can. And that's the bit I want to hone on. Because that's just, the, that's just the, the, the intro. That's the hors d'oeuvre. The main course is our sanctification. That's what Paul talked about, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Sanctification is a word that comes from the Latin sanctus, which means holy. Holy means that we are set apart. God chose us and set us apart for His purpose. We're no longer our own. We were bought at a price. We no longer live, for Christ lives in us. Remember, we've been crucified. But it's because God has purpose for us that is way beyond the ordinary. We've been chosen for this, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. To be like Jesus. And I'm not just talking about what's going to happen when we enter eternity. It's, it starts the moment that we receive the Spirit of Christ and the sanctifying work begins. 
Because remember, it's all gift, and it's all in response to him, but he's committed to this. You've been chosen to be conformed to the image of his Son. It's why the Father takes such delight in the Son. It's why Jesus had to bring himself in to yield to and be obedient to the will of the one. Not my will, but yours be done. This brought pleasure to the Father. I must hurry on. So this is where we've got to learn to walk. Yes, we are seated, but let's not stand still. We are called to walk. There's movement. There's effort. There's application. But it's got to be in the right energy and the right purpose. Paul says this, I urge you then, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is an invitation that is made to us the seated ones, to embrace to a, a new desire to walk differently. Which makes me think about John Cleese and the school of silly walks for any um, Monty Python fans out there. Because some it will look like a silly walk because we become fools for Christ's sake. But it's a walk that is different to those who are not in the truth and in the light. It's to live differently. It's to live for a different purpose. It's to live with a new power that we've never known before. Which means we're going to have to do some different things and try some new things. And many of us would rather stand still than walk. And part of our salvation, am I being saved? I need saving today. I cannot rest on my laurels that I was saved and therefore I'm going to heaven. That's not the, the goal is not to go to heaven, remember? What is the goal? I said it a little while ago. Does anyone know the, why were you chosen? What's the goal? To be conformed to the image of Jesus. To be like Jesus. That's why man was created. To live in relationship with the Lord. In holiness. And so salvation is learning to overcome this time the power of sin. Justification is we were saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is that we would be saved from the power of sin. Not just wrongdoing. There's a power. There's a force. There's an energy. This is our sanctification. Therefore, he says, walk by the Spirit in Galatians and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So though you've been crucified, though you've been given new life and new identity and new power, there are still old desires in you. They're expressed through things like we talked about earlier. Gossip, lust, envy, judgment, gluttony, selfishness. That's in all of you. But remember, that isn't the basis of your salvation. That's the work that is to be done in cooperation with the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Remember, you can't be judged according to the law because you've been justified. You've been told that you are righteous, not guilty, clean, pure. That is the gift. That's why we rejoice. That is why we've got good news, hopefully. And through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, so Paul's playing on this word law in Romans 8, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, the, the, the old commandment that just, just 
bound us up. We could never keep it. But there's another law. Has anyone ever flown? Carol was flying yesterday. The law of thermodynamics means that you can overcome the law of gravity. That's wondrous, isn't it? You see, one law, a natural law, can overcome another law. Just like the law of the Spirit overcomes the law of sin and death. And whilst we're in the body of the plane, we can walk in the air. But have you ever tried to open the door and step outside a plane when it's uh, in midair? Paratroopers do that. Crazy people. Immediately we step outside the fuselage, the old law takes over. Immediately we step outside of Christ and not walking in the Spirit, but walking in my own energy, with my own desires, with my own intentions, with my self-centeredness, I take myself out of the protection and the life of the Spirit. And we plummet to the ground. This is why we must not sit still or stand still, but we must learn to walk. Jesus says, walk while you have the light, because darkness will overtake you. If we stand still, we are consumed by darkness. So we follow the example of Jesus. And the Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, helps us, because that's all he knows anyway. That's his role, to glorify the Lord Jesus. And Jesus takes us to the Father. Hallelujah. What, is, what, is, what does it look like? Well, it is for freedom that Christ has broken the chains and set us free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. That's to stand in still. Rather, serve one another in love. You see, it's love. It's about becoming love. Like God. Like Jesus. And serving according to how God has shaped and called and empowered you. To give your life for the benefit of others. It's to be compassionate. To be merciful. To be patient. To be faithful. To forgive. To give. It's everything God has done for you, replicated in you, through Christ. Now, there's a battle. Paul says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Anyone recognize that one? And what do we do when we can't do it? We either submit to it and just let the energy of sin have its way. We give up. I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Because, you see, the power of sin that I am being saved from, you see, I haven't been saved fully from the power of sin. I've been saved fully from the penalty of sin. I am free. I am a child of God. I am complete. But now I've got to walk, learn to walk in that identity. I've got to learn to walk in the Spirit, in my new identity, drawing on a new power. Because there is an old power in my members. It's kind of in my limbs, as Paul would say, that will overtake me if I give energy and focus and attention to it. And we cannot say, well, I guess that's just who I am. You see, that's, that's not 
faith. That's standing still and letting darkness overtake us. And it will overtake us. But you see, when we turn to Christ and put our faith in Christ, we make a decision to follow Christ. To walk with Him. Not just believe in Him. There's nothing worse for the Christian church than a bunch of people who just believe in Jesus. We are called to follow Him. To become like Him. To walk the path of the cross. And to look to the Father and the Spirit. We are sons of light. Paul said it. That we would share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is your destiny. Now and in the future. The glory of God in this place. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He will give life to your mortal, not your immortal, to your mortal. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it, Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. As a Christian, as a Christ follower, as one indwelt by the Spirit, if I live according to the flesh, I will die. But I thought I was born again, I thought I was saved. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is our goal. This is, this is why we're here. This is why we're together. This is why we're not meant to live alone. This is why we need friends. This is why we need community. This is why we need worship. I mean, this is why we need God. Because the call is to put to death this power that is in us that is beyond us. It is only through the power of God. And God has given everything you need for it. You've got to learn to appropriate it through the way of the Spirit, not the way of the flesh like you've been used to. Save us, Lord. So Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you for His good and His glory. This is impossible without God. This is not people getting their act together and trying hard. This is a people who are broken over our sin, but also thankful of God's mercy and a recognition that the people sitting next to you are just as broken and yet just as blessed through the mercy of God. In fact, everybody you'll ever meet is just as broken and just as dependent upon the mercy of God. You are no better than and no worse than them. But you're in the same boat. Why would we judge them? If God doesn't, why do we? Because we live in the flesh. We don't walk in the Spirit. We don't follow Christ. He didn't. He had compassion. He touched the untouchable. I was listening to a sermon Martin Luther King preached on Palm Sunday about Mahatma Gandhi who lived more of the life of Christ than most Christians. In fact, what is sad is that he went to the Christians and they rejected him. But he loved the Lord. <clears throat> the final part is our glorification. At one level we've been glorified. 
but we will eventually be saved from the very presence of sin. Every, every tear, all pain, all sickness, all death, all rebellion will be removed. This is our glorification. This is what the deposit of the Spirit guarantees. This is why we can live in hope even in the midst of our brokenness and our self-disappointment and our disappointment of others. We've got to keep bringing ourselves back to the truth and the reality and the light which is in one another as well as in the Lord and His Word. And we need to become encouragers to stand firm against the enemy's attack, against the forces that want to pull you down and deny the truth and destroy the life of God in you. That is real. And the more isolated they are, the easier it is to pick us off. This is why we need loving care and relationships. People who walk with us, who pray with us and for us, and we do the same for them. Because the flesh is always present and daily has to be crucified. But God gives us the power to do this. I've got a little video that... um, I wanted to show that speaks to me about the the importance of courage and the importance of our um, our expressing our own lives as as an encouragement to one another and how we need each other. You maybe weren't expecting that. You know, it's so easy for us to misinterpret one another just like the mum was misinterpreting the son. And we were. He's making a mess, graffiti. It's bad. But no, he's incredibly empowered by his love for his sister and his desire to encourage her and for her to know she's not alone. And doing that by beauty. And this is an extraordinary thing. God has put the potential for beauty in us all. Through art, through words, through music, through self-expression. He's he's put tremendous creativity and capability within us all. And when we harness that and we exercise that towards the glory of God and the the encouragement and the building up of one another, wherever we are in the faith, we just love each other into a new place. We are most like the Lord. We are most merciful. We are most creative. We put a smile on the Father's face. And we're willing to pay any price that it takes. We risk ourselves. Because we follow one. The writer Hebrews says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. I'd just like you to, in a way, make your own prayer to the Lord in this time. However it is that the Lord's been speaking to you, perhaps, or what has stirred in you, or what desires are coming forth, bring that before the Father and the power of the Spirit. Know that as you pray, the Son intercedes on your behalf. And pray for a release of this creative work of the Holy Spirit. A spirit of love, of compassion, of mercy. 
joy. Peace and peacemaking. If you don't know that, if you're still wrestling with trying to be good enough, if, you, if it's been a struggle to rest in that place of justification, of acceptance, just open your heart to the truth that that's there and the Father longs for it. Yield yourself to that. Come Holy Spirit, minister to us as the people of God, the family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as those maybe more like the girl in the bed who was sick and need healing in the sense of the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the healing of the soul as well as the body, of our minds, our emotions and our wills, bringing them into greater alignment with Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. As we heard declared earlier, he became sin such that in him we would become the very righteousness of God. Declared free. Declared sons and daughters. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. It's beyond our imaginings. But Holy Spirit, bring a revelation and an experience of this reality deeply and profoundly into our lives. And empower us to be, Lord, those who do not stand still, holding on, and maybe even burying the talent that has been given out of fear, but rather to invest it, to use it, to use the gifts that have been given, to walk in the power that has been bestowed, to shine our lights in a dark world, to be like a city on a hill, as Jesus put it, that others may see this wondrous story of the glory of God poured out and be drawn to you. Let us not be a people who push others away, but who attract to the light, which is Christ. Help us in this, Lord. Change us. 